Last in Line Nation, welcome to another episode of encouragement, another episode that will equip you and empower you to be the best version of yourself. As you know, Last in Line Leadership is all about equipping, encouraging, and empowering people to identify and utilize their gifts for leadership and to provide practical tools for growth and purpose in your life. So settle into this episode, enjoy, and be ready to walk away different than you came in. Last in line, Nation, welcome to the first episode in April of a new theme called Mythology. We're going to talk about what is true, and I'm bringing on a pretty spectacular leadoff guy for the month of April. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing this guy for, I don't know, probably 10 years or so. Um, He is Merrick Matthews and he uh, has about 10 years or 15 years of sales leadership and 20 years in the medical field, the medical industry, medical sales. And he's done a pretty much everything in the arena of cardiology, electrophysiology, um, really dealing with heart devices, those kinds of things. But he's been, more importantly, became a real good friend of mine and especially brother in the faith along the way. And he was instrumental in my career being successful. And so I had to bring him on, but I want to read, you know, Merrick's been with big companies. He's been with medium-sized companies. He's, he's worked for uh, Shield Healthcare, Biotel Heart, He's worked for Santa Fe Aventus, Boston Scientific, all in that cardiology space. He's currently the vice president of sales for Medicomp, which is another heart device company. And I just think uh, watching his career, he's done so much and he's well deserving of this type of leadership. But, you know, his profile talks about his focus mainly is not all the success and awards and financial rewards that go along with it, but he's into developing people and being a servant leader. So I had to bring him on last in line, of course. Uh, Merritt graduated from Baylor University and uh, with a degree in economics and computer information systems and uh, furthered his education actually by getting his law degree from Texas Tech University. Super impressive uh, and focused in healthcare administration. Uh, so he's married to his wife, Sherry, and they have three boys. And most recently, they were blessed with a granddaughter. So Merrick Matthews, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thank you, sir. It's exciting to be here. Uh, you know, uh, you mentioned the granddaughter and the kids. I'm actually doing this from the lobby of a residence inn in Lubbock, Texas. We're up here seeing our kids and our granddaughter for Easter. So glad we could make this work this morning. Man, that's so good. Uh, I'm so proud to to watch your journey, man, and just see where you've kind of come from and to. And man, working for you at one point as a sales, you're you're my sales director at one point back in 2011 through 14, and we did some great things together. Um, yes, so we did. yeah, privilege privilege to have you on, man. But uh, you know, audience, I want to just kind of give you some context around this theme that we're talking about. This myth. Ology, I call it, and what is true. We're going to talk about lies and truth. And you know how this show works. We we work on acronyms and and what is true, the T-R-U-E. We're going to dive into what's trustworthy, what is revealed, 
what is underestimated. And then finally, we're going to talk about what is eternal. So it's important that we go into perspective when we start trying to filter information of what's true, what we're believing, what's a myth, what's a lie. And I also wanted to read a couple things that I found uh, from a, a life coach that I was looking into and doing some research about what we believe about ourselves. And I just want to talk, I just want to read a couple of these top lies that we believe sometimes. And, and one is there's one definition of success. That's one of the lies. There's mm. only one definition of success. There's how about this? Uh, you should compare yourself to others. Uh, <laughs> doing what you love is not important. How about that one? Um, you have, you have to earn your worth is a top myth, I think. Uh, you have to know all the answers. Um, it matters what other people think of you. And finally, I thought this was important about the myths we believe. How about this? Uh, our gifts are only ours to keep. So we're going to unpack some of those indirectly, I'm sure. And uh, But first, you know, I want to get Merrick's thoughts on something here so let's dive into what we think is trustworthy in our lives like what are those things those criteria those sources of information that we kind of build in to the pattern of our belief system and what do we view as trustworthy so i want to go right into it with the first question so let's talk about a myth we believe so what are some myths out there about what we decide to believe, Merrick, like some of the sources of information, there's so much information right now. What, what kind of traps would you say that either you personally or that you see people get caught up in? You know, it's, I think we live in an age where there's just way too much information coming at us. So not only is, as leaders in the home, leaders in business, um, we're getting cascading messaging from, from the people around us, from other companies, from social media, from just the news that tells us what we ought to be. Mm. And it, it is so conflicting with what we really ought to be, which is, you know, servants, both in our home, in our work, to our God. Mm. Um, and so we get this myth that it's all about us, that we have to look a certain way, that we have to act a certain way, that we have to lead a certain way, that we have to be the certain type of parent. And it just bombards you from so many different directions. You just have to learn to turn that off. Mm. Um, and it's really tough to do. I mean, it's really tough to do. Mm, wow. I mean, I love what you just said there. That, I mean, some of that stuff, you know, learning how to filter, learning what to filter, and, and then what people, what that information says we ought to be is what I heard you say. That's huge, man. Um, because that can really, those kind of lies can sort of get twisted in and get us down, going down a path that leads to a lot of other collateral damage when it comes to emotional and spiritual anxiety or, or just flat out deception. Um, and it's, you know, John, it's so easy to, to listen to what other people have to say about you. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's such a trap for men, especially mm -hmm. um, because like it or not, we define a lot of who we are by the job that we do, you know, by, by the parent that we are, mm -hmm. by the leader that we are, the, the person we are at work. And it's, it's just really dangerous because it becomes easier and easier to listen to what people have to say about you. Mm -hmm. And I think a turning point for me in, in trying to filter this stuff out was probably about five or six years ago, um, the pastor at our church, his, his sermon, the central theme of his sermon was, it's none of my business what other people think about me. 
Mm-hmm. And it was it was only when I started really filtering that and using that that I started just you know I really stopped caring what other people think about me. Um, that's they're not what matters. Wow, that's so good because like in especially with as much success as you've had, and then even recently getting you know promoted into a role that I mean you're in a national spotlight. You're in you're you're carrying mm-hmm. the load of really the direction of the sales organization that you work for and you're, you're building a blueprint for the future, you know, of this company when it comes to sales and, and that's a big load to carry. So I could see where some of those external voices and some of the noise can impact us. And even in a smaller scale, you know, we, we just every day in our everyday lives can turn on the TV and hear about how awful parents we are or hear about Mm -hmm. all our generation, our next generations going down the wrong road. Our kids are terrible. You know, we can hear so much. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, why do you figure some leaders struggle with, um, I guess, being trustworthy. So, so we're trying to exhibit that characteristic too. Like we only not only want to receive, from trustworthy sources, we want to be that. So, sure. you know, as leaders, where do we, where do we struggle? Where do the waters get muddied at all when it comes to that? John, I think it's a great question. Um, there are times in leadership where it's really hard to be, to be honest, mm-hmm. especially when you're trying to um, preserve somebody's feelings. Right. Yeah, I think right. a lot of people in business leadership, um, they just don't care what other people, how other people feel. It becomes more and more difficult when you know that the things that you do, especially when it's like performance management or you're, mm-hmm. you're managing somebody out of an organization, which we know not every job's a fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. It becomes really difficult to be completely honest in those situations to preserve feelings. Um, I think that's something that as leaders, we have to really work on is how do we have those conversations that are tough, that are deep, that are emotional and still be completely honest in the entire situation. It's easy to fluff things. It's easy to, to, to try to stay on the surface. But at the end of the day, that's, that's not who we're supposed to be. No, no. And I can only imagine some of the conversations you've had to have and, and I've had in the past in leadership and, uh, you know, even all the way down to parenting. You know, we're trying to, trying to preserve our kids' feelings too. But at the same time, you know, the Bible talks about we've, that discipline component is huge and, and we're not doing them any favors if we're not speaking the truth in love, of course. But I mean, sometimes it's just, sometimes it is brutal honesty, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, and I think it becomes difficult too, when you work for an organization that doesn't value honesty, you know, I've, I've had the, the privilege to work at a lot of different places in leadership roles and, and some of them, Honesty is just not a piece of the puzzle for the organization. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. It's one of the big reasons I am where I am right now is because I saw in the leadership at my current organization, folks that were honest and open and, and willing to manage an organization in that way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, that's a huge criteria because sometimes when we're checking boxes of, of who we want to represent in our professional lives, <clears throat> you know, that, that can get a little skewed and in the list of priorities on what we make choices based on. And and I think that's a huge factor is like, what, what's the culture, what's the integrity of the leadership. And, you know, because eventually that's going to trickle down and eventually it's going to affect the direction of the organization. Absolutely. And I think that, I think it, 
it's easy later in your career to make those decisions where you, you work for a company because of their culture and you're not chasing a paycheck. Yeah. You know, I think it's easy, easy, easy to get caught up in chasing money and, you know, Hey, I'm going to leave and go to this place because I'm going to make an extra 10, $15,000. And I'm, you know, I'm selling my soul to do it. At some point you just have to make the choice that money's not the biggest thing in what we do. Yep. Absolutely. Well, you know, as we kind of segue into this next portion of this whole mythology and what is true and how to kind of filter that information and then how do we exhibit some of those traits that really, uh, you know, how do we wave, I guess, wave that banner in today's society that we really can maintain that integrity and that character and what, you know, being that trustworthy. So the R in T-R-U-E, so is what is revealed. So we're going to talk about some of the defining moments, you know, maybe in your career and some of the moments sure. of revelation where you felt really, you know, God was telling you to go a direction or God was really imparting some sort of wisdom on you that had an impact. So let's talk about a defining moment um, in, you know, either in your character or your calling or something just about you within the fabric of who you are. Did you have, have you had probably not just one, but can you think of one defining moment? Absolutely. So I can, I can think of a couple of them actually. And one of them actually involves you. Um, so I, I moved into sales leadership in about 2010 and in the organ, you and I were in the same organization. We were both at Biotel. Um, I moved into sales leadership because I thought it was the natural progression of my career, mm -hmm. right? I've been a really successful sales rep. So every successful sales rep thinks, well, I need to be a manager. And the reality is it's a completely different skill set. Mm -hmm. And so I move into this leadership role with no training. Um, and it's just, hey, go do what you do. And wow, it was incredibly difficult. Um, there were times where it was a spectacular failure. Um, but there were two things that really defined who I wanted to become as a leader. And the first one involves you. Um, so mm -hmm. you came into my team here in Texas mm -hmm. and... Um, we rolled out a new program. You were the first one to jump on it and you wound up being sales rep of the year. Um, so the reason that was a defining moment was, was for two things. First of all, the VP of sales that was in the role at that time um, thought it'd be funny to pass over your award um, and, and, and make it make me feel like that wasn't going to happen. And I was, I was furious. Yeah. Um, because it was something that, uh, that you would work towards. And it, I felt like you were getting, you know, yeah. the short, short end of the stick. And what I decided, what I figured out, and I, and I remember vividly that, um, after you walked up on stage and got your award for being sales rep of the year, you and I went outside the doors of the ballroom when we prayed together. Yeah. Um, that was a defining moment for me because that was that that was when I really figured out that it wasn't about me. Hmm. You know, my success was the success of my people. Um, and so that really shifted my leadership um, wow. to, you know, Hey, I'd rather see my people win than win personally. Mm -hmm. um, the second piece of that was 2015. Um, I was managing, still managing, same company, same, uh, you know, a team that had a different dynamic, some of the same people you worked with, some right. people that weren't. And uh, President's Club at that organization was the top 10% of the sales force, so 10 people. Mm -hmm. And then the top manager 
And in 2015, I set my goal as getting the most people on my team as I could to President's Club. And in 2015, five of the 10, 50% of the people that went on that trip were from my team. And so, you know, both of those things were such building blocks to the idea that my success is secondary to my team's success. And I'm only successful through theirs. So it really put me on that path of, of that idea of being a servant leader. You know, the, the more I do for my team to see them be successful, um, that rolls downhill to me. And I'd rather them be in the spotlight. So those are, those are a couple of pretty defining moments, pretty big that's, defining moments. I mean, for me. that's huge. And I remember like it was yesterday, that instant, that instance that you're talking about where we, yeah, you know, we had some, a great success that year. And I remember you going to bat and I remember, I remember exactly where we were when we, when we prayed after that. And, and I think that's, that's huge. Cause two things stood out to me is that first of all, in all of that chaos and all of that success, you know, we paused and invited God into the situation and gave yeah. him glory. And, and we're grateful for that. I think that stands out. And the other one that stands out is that you just did a, a shift into how you saw leadership and that trickles down into fast forward right now, the, the blessings and the rewards that you've gotten based on that philosophy. And I think that's for somebody listening. Like I think somebody in the audience is, is in that position of leadership and maybe they have always just been about, I'm going to be good so that I can shine so that I can reap the reward. And, And I think what people need to hear is that you still were valued and revered as a great leader, but your focus was not about you. Let somebody else worry about that. You know, you were focused on exalting other people and then in turn you were exalted. So I think that's for somebody. Um, You know, my second question about, you know, our, our little, our topic here of revealed, what is revealed is, so I'm going to read this question verbatim because I feel like it's going to be powerful. Um, what you have to say. So what do you feel God wanting to reveal to our generation of leaders and the legacy he designed as, you know, for leadership? Cause I think, I think mm. right now, I think right now some of leadership is a little twisted based on, you know, if we're doing a comparison of how God drew it up in the original blueprint, right? I yeah. think we've twisted it. We've skewed it. So talk about our generation of leaders right now. And maybe aside from servant leadership, you know, cause that's probably, I would yeah. say the biggest thing. What else do you see could could need to improve maybe? Oh, man. Um, you know, it, it's really different right now. I think we all see it. There's a new generation coming up in the workforce, right? And, and I call them that everybody gets a trophy generation. Um, you know, I'll hire somebody. It's their first sales job. And six months in, they're like, hey, when am I going to make six figures? When am I going to... Uh, be the CEO of the company, you know, where we've got these folks that think that that it's really gotten to the, the point where they feel like leadership is just a natural progression for them. Mm-hmm. You know, their parents or the whoever has told them, <clears throat> pardon me, this is what you ought to be. This is who you ought to be. And it, it's just, that's not, not everybody has the skill set. Um, and I think that translates into our faith and into our churches as well. Mm. You've got people that are running towards leadership positions that are ill-equipped for them. 
Right. You know, they haven't, they haven't prayed on it. They haven't thought about it. They haven't tried to figure out, am I the person to do this? Yeah. They just jump at it because they want to be in the spotlight. Mm. And so I, th- I think, um, I think when we get back to how God designed leadership, God didn't design leaders to be in the spotlight. Right. God designed leaders to work on the fringe and to move the pieces and, and to do it, um, to do it humbly and quietly without seeking that exaltation themselves. Um, you know, I love the philosophy of do your job, do it silently and do it with excellence. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's, that's where huge. I am with it. I think we're, we're not called to be in the spotlight. We're called to work on the fringes and help move people to where they're supposed to be. Right. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I, I hear you say also, there's a season, like there's a season to equip yourself, you know, to, to build and, and really, yeah. I mean, learn the trade, if you will, learn about yourself and making yourself better. It's not just because you have a glove, you're an all-star pitcher for a baseball team. Like, you know, it's not just because you're dressed up in uniform that you're capable to lead. And and so I think what you're saying is is crucial um, because we do. We do have that entitlement component uh, right now and, and, you know, in leaders and, and maybe even some of the more experienced leaders still struggle with some of that. But I would say these next few generations are being fed maybe the, the myth, as we talk about that, the myth that everybody's cut out for leadership and you're cut out for leadership just because you signed up for something that just because you got the job, of course, you're going to be a leader. So, um, And I always say, you know, everybody is a leader because everybody has influence. But in this capacity of leading an organization or a group of people, that may not be your wheelhouse. You may be called to lead within the four walls of your home, right? Which we all are. So, yeah. So I do you remember, John, John, I know you want this to be a conversation. No, so I'm going to take us down a little path for a second. Yeah, yeah. So do you remember Eric Stover that we worked with at Biotel? Yeah. So Eric Stover is like you. He's one of the guys that I've remained incredibly close to even after not working together anymore. And Eric shared a quote with me, gosh, four or five years ago that I think sums it up in terms of leadership. And the quote uh, is attributed to one of the the founders of the Methodist church. And I'm going to butcher the quote a little bit, but the gist is when a man is on fire, people will come from miles around to watch him burn. Wow. Um, and, and I love that quote because when you're on fire about what you do, like when people see that, just that flame in you, that's good. It, it draws them to you, right? It's, they want to, they want to be around that warmth. They want to be around that fire. It's encouraging. It, it charges them up. And so for folks that want to be leaders in, a, in the business world, that want to be leaders in a church, that want to be leaders in their family, they've got to be on fire for something. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, hopefully it's on fire for their faith and for God. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that's not what it is. Um, but, you know, people are looking for, for people on fire for something because we just don't see that right now. And so I love that quote for, for people that are in that's leadership good. positions, no matter where it is. You know, if you're on fire, people are going to come from miles around to watch you burn. That's, that's so good. Ali, that's real good, man. And <clears throat> Yeah, I, you know, I talked about that last month in our, you know, being the hero theme. We talked about being the energizer 
and, and what, what is your passion? What energizes you? What inspires, you know, so it's gotta have, we gotta have that spark in us. And, and I think just doing, sometimes just doing the right things over and over in those disciplines of being a good person and having character and doing the right thing all the time. And it being not a question, like some of that, that those people will come, will be drawn to that flame, like you said. Right. So, man, that's that's powerful, and somebody <clears throat> needed that. And so let's go right into the, the you know, b- bouncing down the line here of TRUE. Sure. We're talking about what's true about leadership. We got Merrick Matthews here, who's a vice president of sales for a, a big medical corporation, and he's done a lot of things under that, under that heading uh, throughout his career. He's got a law degree. Um, what? let's talk about what's underestimated. So okay. we, we box ourselves in undoubtedly. And we also are sometimes uh, trapped into boxing God in sometimes with some of the limits that we put on ourselves and even him. So let's talk about a time where you may have underestimated God's power, I guess is the word, or yeah. maybe God exceeded your expectations and you had no idea that that was coming. Anything? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so John, I, I think a lot of times I fall into that category of being a convenient Christian, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty good bus driver on my own. So when things are good, man, I'm driving the bus. And unfortunately, I feel like the times when I really lean on my faith and I lean on God are when, when I'm, in, I'm in times of crisis. Mm-hmm. And I really feel over the last 10 years, God's trying to break that cycle, right? He's trying to break me out of that because it's garbage. Right. It just is. So I'll go back about uh, actually three years, um, three years ago, this coming May, um, I was in California. Uh, I was there for new hire training with an organization that I was with at the time. And um, my wife, Sherry, that, you know, Sherry calls me and um, she says, I think I'm having a heart attack. Um asked her what her symptoms were. She described the classic heart attack symptoms. Um, My wife is not old. She's not infirmed. She's she's a very healthy, vibrant woman, but she was having a heart attack. So I'm in California. I'm thousands of miles away. I'm telling my wife to go to the ER. She calls me and says, yes, I'm having a heart attack. They're admitting me. So, um, so I go into, I go into what I do, which is that's when, when I say, God, you got to get me through this. And in uh, a couple things. So my prayer became in that time frame, um, God, get me through the next hour. Right. So I'm fearful I'm going to lose my wife, um, who is the linchpin of my home. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so my prayer is, God, get me through the next hour. Get us through the next hour. And over about a four or five day period, John, it was just nuts mm-hmm. that when I would say that prayer minutes after I said that. Um, what I needed in that moment was there. Mm. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, I've struggled with fear in my life. It's just something I struggle with fear and worry. Um, it's, it's been, a, it's been, a, it's been tough, right? Um, so I'm struggling with fear in this whole thing. And my prayers, I'm driving back up to the hospital. I'd run home, take a shower. My God was, my prayer was God, get me through this next hour. I'm so scared. And I happened to turn the radio on to Christian radio, which I rarely listen to. And the song that came on was about dealing with fear. And the line that sticks with me is at some point, the fear that you have is going to have to face the God, you know, 
And I'm like, okay. And, and I just laughed. I mean, I, I laughed out loud. I'm like, God, you know, not only are you giving me what I need, you're doing it in a way that's like, dude, if you will just lean on me, I've got you. Yeah. And then the next, the next one in that same thing, you know, we're getting ready to come home from the hospital and we're sitting on the hospital bed and my wife's in my arms and we're both crying. And, and her words are, God, I don't want this. Because, you know, this, it's a life-changing moment. She ended up having three heart attacks over the span of three days. Mm. And so we're sitting there just in tears, not knowing what, you know, not knowing what's going to happen. And again, my prayer as I'm holding my wife in my arms is, um, God, get us through the next hour. And at that point, there's a knock on the, the door of the hospital. And here comes our pastor from the church. And he walked in and I laughed out loud because it's like, my gosh, if I will just sit back, and not underestimate God, he's going to give me the things that I ask for, you know, and he's going to give them to me in his way. But his way was to have this man come in and comfort us and walk us through, um, walk us through that fear. So yeah, I underestimate God on a regular basis, but that, that situation, he just, he, I think he delighted in comic timing in that whole situation. It, which, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, God has intensely a intensely personal humor, story there. Hey, God has a oh. sense of humor. I mean, I've seen it many yeah. times because He knows what we'll receive. Like the message we'll receive, if it's got to be humorous and it's got to be <laughs> His kind of irony, we, you know, that He'll use whatever He's got to use. Man, that's powerful because, golly, how many of us are that Christian in crisis kind of person? Like you said, like I yeah. think. I think some of the myth in our spiritual belief system is that, yes, he's powerful. Yes, he's mighty. He's the guy we go when we need to for when we need something. I mean, he can Mm -hmm. provide, you know, we like to say most of everything, even though he can provide whatever uh, we need. But I think we do instead of in those good times, like when things are going smooth, when we don't feel like we need to ask him for anything, I think we kind of go about our own. We've got this, like you said, drive the bus instead of having that conversation with him, even in those times saying, thanks. Like, Hey, thanks that I'm not in crisis right now. I mean, I think there's always a moment where we can talk to God, not just ask him for things, even though he wants us to run to him when we do need things. He also wants to hear about how thankful we are and how grateful we are. And Hey, things are going well. And I really, you know, thank you. (laughs) So, you know, John, I've been, I think a lot of that comes down to intention, right? Mm -hmm. Do we intentionally try to be thankful and, and talk with God when we're not in crisis. And so that's something personally, I've really been focused on doing is how do I have intentional intentionality around those conversations and those conversations don't have to be long. They don't have to be deep. It can be as simple as I, I found myself recently as the weather's getting nicer. Um, I love being outdoors, right? Uh-huh. And especially this time of year. And I'll go for a walk after dinner. You know, we've just, we've, we've built our dream home. We've moved into it. It's in a really beautiful setting. And I found myself just going out for a walk after dinner and just saying, thank you as I yeah. walk, you know, thank yeah. you for a beautiful sunset. Thank you for the ability to, um, to impact somebody's life today. Um, so, I've, you know, finding that time and setting time aside, I think is, is vital to, to do that because we're so busy. We're so busy. I mean, think about it. You and I are doing this interview at 7 a.m. on a Saturday morning 
um, when because our days are just so dadgum packed. And so have, yeah. being intentional about it, I think, has been good for me. I mean, that's I couldn't have said that better. I mean, that was timely for you to insert that message because you're exactly right. Because we don't have to really be, we can be, it's different between being proactive and reactionary. Like in crisis, we're yeah. reactionary and we go, right? We go to the throne. Uh, when we have to be intentional, when it's not urgent, then that's that's on us. That's our we control that step that we take, and I think that's great that you mentioned because in your prayer when you were talking about during that trying time with your wife, didn't sound like you had to go into this elaborate King James version prayer, right? No, you were, you were like just get me through this hour, and boom, there he was. Yeah. and so I think it's important that you said um, it doesn't have to be super long, super complicated, super formal. Like God's conversational. That's why I love being a Christian and talking to him and just, yeah. like, Hey, you know, you know me better than I know me. So that's crucial. What you just said. Um, what about when it comes to our own gifts and abilities? Um, you know, cause obviously we talked about just a minute ago, we box ourselves in. I talk about that all the time. Yeah. We our fear, our insecurity. Cause you spoke, I mean, mm -hmm. you're reading my mail because I deal with fear. <laughs> I deal with insecurity. And I think every man does, right. Yeah. We're trying to be leaders. Yeah. I think every leader in the darkest, places alone would admit they deal with fear and so how do we why do we box ourselves in and then how can we be better at that for somebody that's in that struggle so i think the first thing you have to realize that fear is a, is a tool that the enemy uses against us right mm -hmm. and it goes to that idea of being on fire for something mm. if 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 the devil can insert fear into a situation he squelches any fire that's there. Um, so I think it's mm. realizing where the fear comes from. Doesn't mean I've mastered how to get rid of it. It just right. means that I'm doing better about knowing where it, where it comes from. Wow. Um, and so it's, it's getting past that fear. I think a lot of men live in, with the idea, and women too. I don't want to box it into men. It's men and women too. I think a lot of people, especially in leadership, the fear that they have is that at any moment, somebody's going to figure out that I'm a fraud, right? <laughs> that, I, that, that I've built all That's this good. on a house of cards, that, that it's going to come crashing down around me. And I think we have to realize that it's simply not the case. People are in the positions that they're in uh, because they're supposed to be there. I don't believe anything is chance. Yeah. I think that God has a story that is written for us that we continually yeah. write with him. And we are where we are because we're supposed to be there. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's turning off those messages around us and realizing that we're in the spot that we're in because God wants us there. And then how do I take the particular talents and abilities that God has blessed me with mm -hmm. and, and then use that to bless him or to give blessing back to him um, or thanks back to him and bless the people around us. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a firm believer that, that, Everything that I'm good at, it's not because I'm good at them. It's because God gives me the ability to be good at them. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, he's given them to me. And I'm a believer too, John, that those can be taken away. Yeah. I think if we don't glorify God with the talents and abilities that he's given us, mm -hmm. that, that those talents and abilities can be removed from us. And so it's seeking out opportunity to glorify him with what he's given you. Yeah. Well, what? okay. So we're going to go off script real quick. You didn't have time right, to prepare for, for this question, but... Yeah. Give me something about yourself that you kind of underestimated that then that was sort of revealed, like your gifts or your talents or sure. your leadership skill set, something that you didn't think you were really capable of. And you're like, 
wow, God just showed me that I can do that right there. Anything? Yeah. Um, I think one of them is the ability to have fierce conversations. When I say a fierce conversation, it's, it's a conversation that normally would be uh, emotionally charged or, you know, you know, could be, could go off the rails, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think God has given me the ability in the last five years of my career to be able to have those conversations and people walk away from them, not feeling demolished, dejected and destroyed. Um, so I think that's a gift that he's given me because it's, uh, you know, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not something that, that somebody that's not a, you know, a psychopath enjoys doing. So I think that's one of them. Um, the other one is the ability to connect with people. Mm. Um, you know, I could talk to a fence post and make it my friend. Um, I think, I think God has blessed me with the ability to, to find connection with people very, very quickly. Which in a sales environment, you and I both know that's a really powerful thing. It's useful. Very useful. And, and I would agree 100%. <laughs> and, you know, five, six years ago, you probably would have made a point of trying to avoid certain conversations that you thought might become, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that's huge. I mean, God's growing that uh, skill set, expanding your capacity for leadership. I mean, it's it's obvious. And, and I think it's great that you're, you're aware of that. Um, so man, we're going to, we're going to close this thing out with our last letter of T-R-U-E. And I think we have done a, a really good job of, at unco- uncovering some of these <coughs> myths, some of the lies that our enemy, because we have a, we do have a real enemy out there. Um, and I think we've uncovered some of those. And I thought, I think we've uncovered how God is bigger than all that. And, and God will reveal ways that we can discern moments of, uh, lies creeping into the, to our lives and then <clears throat> just combating that with truth. So let's talk eternal. The last sure. letter in our, in our conversation here of true, you know, let's talk eternal. And I know that that covers perspective. So <clears throat> why do we as Christians, why do you think we kind of get trapped in that here and now versus an eternal perspective? Because John, I think our minds aren't, our minds don't think in eternal perspective, Right if you sit and ponder, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> if you sit and spot, ponder the, the concept of eternity, our minds just aren't built like that. Our souls are, our souls are built with an eternal right. mindset or an eternal, eternal aspect. Our minds aren't. So I think we get locked in our minds, right? We start thinking about eternity and it's like, Oh, that's way too much to deal with. Yeah. I'm going to bring it back to here and now. Um, I think that's also societal, right? I think it's, um, it's, we're so focused on what do I have in the bank? What do I have in my driveway? What, you know, what does my driveway look like and what kind of a house is it attached to? Those are not eternal things. And I fall into those traps too. I I like things. I like nice things. Um, and, and those things pull me away from the eternal very, very quickly. Um, so I just think it's tough for our minds to grasp eternity, man. I just do. Yeah. And we're not, I mean, like you said, we're, we're wired to, but I think in our flesh, we're not bent that way always. And it's because of what you just said, um, getting kind of trapped in that mental game and getting in our own way of, of the here and now and what I control. Yeah. Cause, cause we like to know we can control what's seen and the internals, yeah unseen right and so we feel very helpless 
to be able to control. And what I think the, the refreshing part of that is that we don't have to control it. That's why I think if we get more locked into what is a big picture, we always talk about what's the big picture. So let's talk about a bigger picture of eternity. Like yeah. we already know how this ends. So to yeah. me, that should really relieve us of some of the mental <clears throat> burden of feeling yeah. the pressures in the natural. So uh, you shared with me a sermon three or four years ago that your pastor gave. Um, and it was about, it was about viewing life as watching the game film, right? The games, that. the game's over, the game's won. All we're doing now is watching the game film. That's right. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to live that way. It's hard to live that way. But I think that's a great way to view it is man, the, we're already in the locker room celebrating the victory. Um, now we just got to play the game. Yeah. We're doing it in the reverse order of what we think it should be. And yeah. I think that's the thing that it's tough to wrap your mind around yeah. is, is I know I'm part of the victory party, the victory parade. Yeah. Um, but I still got to go play the game. Right. So it, that's a right. tough thing to wrap your mind around. Absolutely, man. Um, I feel like, I mean, you know, when you, like you said, when you record a game and you know the outcome and your team wins, <laughs> When you're watching the game and you see a setback for your team, you don't get too wound up because yeah. you already know they want. So, I mean, in our lives, if we have the eternal perspective and we know that we win, when we have a bad report from the doctor or maybe our financial budget isn't quite lining up like we want, you know, we we still know how this ends. And so we don't have to get trapped in some of that fear and anxiety and pressure that we sometimes do. Um, and it's not, look, I'm not perfect at this. And, and I will tell you, it's hard to convey a message in a, you know, to the audience that says, Hey, just think eternally, you know, when you have a problem today, <laughs> yeah. just think. So it's hard, it's hard. But, um, anyway, I think that should sometimes give us peace because, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, this world isn't without trouble. It's not without, problems but there is peace through them and i think that's what we got to focus on and so um man uh, I, as we can we get into this big heavy deep question at the end always you know every podcast i listen to almost talks about this word um this word legacy but you know uh in merrick matthew's life i've watched you evolve in this leadership and grow and just become this impact player in these organizations that you're with but that also trickles down to you're an impact guy to your teams and ultimately the people in their lives and what they do every day mm -hmm. so man what's your footprint going to look like if we're going to look back on your story of leadership what's it going to what's that story going to look like wow um yeah that is a deep one to end on and and I hope that my legacy in the business world is that I've helped someone else develop the same mindset of leadership where they can go out and they can change somebody else's future mm -hmm. here on earth with, with what, you know, I've helped them learn. Um, but John, at, at the end of the day, my legacy, I'm, this is something I'm really working on personally. My legacy is not my work. Yeah. My legacy is not my work. My legacy is my wife, my three boys, and 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 my family, and then the people around me. And uh, 
you know, you, you hear me talk throughout our pod, the podcast today about impactful things that people have said to me. Um, mm. You know, I've been very blessed to have been surrounded by very godly people, by people that have had tremendous impact on who I am. Yeah. And my oldest, longest, bestest friend in the world, um, I love what he talks about. He said, my job is not to, to be the life of the party. My job is not to, to be in the limelight. He said, my job is to invite as many people to the party as I can and show them why they should come to the party. Mm. And, and that's my legacy. My legacy is did I invite everybody that I could to the party, hoping that they would join us. Mm. So mm. that's it for me. It's, it's, so it's good. not the business world. That's that. I mean, it, yeah, that's all fleeting. That that's yeah. all fleeting. That's all, that's all stuff related. Um, my legacy is, is who did I invite to the party and, and, yeah. and did I show them through my actions that the party's what they should be doing? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, and, and listeners, I mean, I know there's people out there right now that, uh, that's going to be a shift in thinking most likely for some folks, you know, uh, maybe we've, we've need to adjust sort of what our end game is and what good looks like as a leader, you know, bringing those equipping people so that they can go and equip others is a huge thing, pouring into people, investing in people like he talked about. And then, uh, you know, just this party we're talking about, you know, show people how good God is showing people what eternity really that perspective is and the joy that is and all that we should be thankful for. And then, you know, this is why you should be invited. And so I think it's a great, it's a great perspective. You know, Merrick, I've enjoyed this today. I mean, our friendship more than our professional relationship, of course, and dang it, you, you became one of my better friends more than you became my sales director, you know, 10 years ago. And <laughs> yeah. so uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate everything you've, you've brought to my life and how you impacted me professionally, especially. Uh, but, you know, audience, uh, I, I, I hope you got something out of this because I know you did, but I, I hope you understood this real perspective and, and saw how authentic uh, Merrick is and his transparency of his stories and the journey he's been on because it's real world and he's grown through some things and he's gone through some things and he's always circles back to his faith and always circles back to being grounded in that baseline of who God is and how good he is and, and to really just be seeking him more. So I hope you got that. I hope you wrote it down, listen to it again. Um, and so, you know what, we're going to have a great month. He started this off. He raised the bar high, the expectations high uh, for April, the myths and the truths. So I hope you got something out of that until next time, audience, be blessed. I don't want to